0: now you through your testimony maybe you can share how god answered prayer something he's done for you how he's blessed you that may give you a platform but your life can convert no one the word of god brought together by the spirit of god is what brings about supernatural conception
1: hello and welcome to search the scriptures the bible teaching program of dr carl brogie senior pastor of community bible church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a study of the book of Jonah, and today Dr. Brogy continues his message in Jonah chapter 3. In order for there to be true repentance, in order for there to be faith, one must hear the Word of God. Let's join Pastor Carl as he further explains the doctrine of repentance.
0: And so some in our Reformed faith, they front load the gospel, almost making repentance a work. Like it's something that you do before salvation in order to believe, and it is not. Again, brethren, what shall we do? And in one word, Peter said, repent. What were they to repent of? It all is determined by context. In that context, the Hebrew people said, Jesus is just a man. Not only is he a man, he is a blasphemer. He deserves to be executed and they learn from the scripture. No, he's the promised one. It rings true to their life because the word of God is living and sharper and active than a two-edged sword. What will we do? Change your mind. That's what the word repent in both Hebrew and Greek means, to change your mind. But understand, you can be convicted by the Spirit of God without necessarily being converted by the Spirit of God. And there are many examples. Think your way through this for just a second. There is Governor Felix in Acts chapter 24. Paul has the opportunity to share God's love and forgiveness to him. And we're told in Acts 24, 25, and as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. Now here's a man who was under deep conviction, but as history records, he rejected Jesus. He was under conviction, but he wasn't converted, he didn't repent. You can come under conviction without having genuine repentance. For that matter, you can experience confession of sin without genuine repentance. Do you remember the great pharaoh of Egypt? Plague after plague came, the plague of blood, the plague of frogs, the plague of insects, the plague on the cattle, the boils. And then finally in Exodus 9, 27, we're told, he says, I've sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. You can have confession without repentance. For that matter, you can have crying without repentance. Think about Esau. He had a great lust for food, and his lust for the things of the flesh superseded his love for God. And we're told in Hebrews the 12th chapter that in the body of Christ in the church there is to be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing he was rejected and he found no place for repentance though he sought it with tears. Crying in tears do not necessarily mean genuine repentance. Repentance is more than just feeling sorry for your sin. The word repent is not a feeling word. It's a willful word. Now, there may be feelings involved. So Paul, in describing believers who have been regenerated by the Spirit already, can refer to a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. But you can feel sorry like the rich young ruler, but he didn't repent. He failed to change his mind. So Jesus told the people of his day to change their mind, that if they would not repent, they too would perish. In fact, it's an important word. The first word recorded out of the mouth of Jesus is the word repent. Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. So you ask, is repentance something we do before we come to the Lord? Well, yes and no, and that repentance does not describe some work that we must do, and therefore soil the grace of God, but indeed, when you believe, you have genuinely repented. If you are in California, and I ask you to come to South Carolina, I don't really need to say, well, leave California to come to South Carolina. All I need to do is say, come to South Carolina, and if you come to South Carolina, then you leave California. And when you come to Christ, you're coming to the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. You're willing to acknowledge that your sin is wrong, that it needs to be forgiven. And so you have changed your mind when you come to Christ, you repent. So as you read John's gospel, he never once uses the word repent but he preaches what Christ had commanded him and all the apostles to do, to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And by the way, he couches each and every illustration. He does it in a way without front-loading the gospel and making repentance a work. Look, a man who is in sin is dead in his sin. Jesus said the man who sins becomes a slave to his own sin. You can't clean up your life to come to Jesus Christ. But when you come to Jesus Christ, he will indeed clean up your life. Now, back here in Jonah 3 and verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. Circle that word in. Because if that word in were not here, there would be no salvation. There are some people who believe about God, who who believe about Christ, but they don't believe in God. They don't believe in Christ. They know God like most of us know the President of the United States. We all know who the president is. Most of us have a lot of information about the president. We may have different opinions on our president. We're still called, by the way, to pray for our president. I hope you're doing that earnestly in these days. But maybe none of us personally here know the president. A lot of people know God the way I know the president. And so in Acts 17, God makes it very clear what the content of faith is. Listen to these words. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So God asks us to change our mind concerning Jesus, to trust him who died on our behalf, who was raised from the dead, declaring him as sinless, declaring him to be Lord. Now I'm sure Jonah didn't know that this mass revival was going to take place when he went and preached in Nineveh. His message was simple, he had 40 days in Nineveh would be overthrown. Would they laugh at him? Would they mock him? Would they turn against him? Would they persecute him? Would they execute him? He doesn't really know. But the fact of the matter is, is when he starts preaching, the people stop and they listen. And God brings great conviction Across the whole city, then the people of Nineveh, in response to the message, then the people believed in God. You ask, well, what specifically did they believe in light of what we just read from Paul in Acts 17? The same thing you and I believe that God is the provider of salvation. I hope you understand that when you get to heaven, there won't be people in the Old Testament era who were saved by human merit, by obedience to the law, and that the rest of us were saved by believing in Jesus. God has only had one way of salvation through all of time. Now understand, five words in the Hebrew text, eight words in our English Bibles, yet 40 years and Nineveh will be overthrown. Was that all he preached? No. You say, how do you know? Because the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. God gave us divine commentary on the Old Testament prophets. Listen to these words in Acts 10, Peter says in Acts 1043, of him, he's speaking of Jesus, of Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Jonah's a prophet, what did all the prophets preach? What did all the prophets bear witness of? The Messiah. Now, did Jonah know that the Messiah's name would be Yeshua? Of course not. He didn't know his name would be Jesus. But he bore witness of the coming Messiah. In addition, Jesus tells us in Luke 11, for just as Jonah became assigned to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jesus taught, if you were here several weeks ago that Jonah was, A, assigned to the wicked and idolatrous and adulterous generation that um, uh, Jesus encountered as he did miracles on the earth. But in addition, he himself was assigned. Jesus made this statement, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights In the heart of the earth, which tells us that Jonah preached more than five words because like all the prophets, he bore witness of Jesus, of his death, burial, and resurrection. See, the only difference was they're looking forward and certainly there are some who had a fuller revelation of the truth of God. But who is the first prophet in scripture? Abel. Abel's the first prophet in scripture. How do we know that? Because Jesus tells us that. You don't know that from the Old Testament. But Jesus indicted the religious leaders of his day with the blood of all the prophets from Abel to the last prophet, Zechariah. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that he came on the basis of faith. You know, liberal German theology of the 19th century said, and so many foolish American evangelicals have bought it, that the difference between Abel's sacrifice and Cain's sacrifice is that Abel brought his best and Cain brought less than his best. A, you don't know that Cain brought less than his best. He could have brought the finest of his garden. But one, we're told, and the writer of the Hebrews came on the basis of faith. He came on the basis of what God had revealed. Faith is always based on scripture. Faith comes through the word of God. And what had God revealed? God had revealed to Adam and Eve, his parents, And even possibly by direct revelation to Abel that without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sin and so he made them coats of skin and so Abel based on revealed truth comes with blood because he recognizes that sin deserves death and that blood was a foreshadowing of the precious sinless blood of Christ that would someday be shed now there's the means to this revival. Secondly, let's think further about the extent, the extent of this revival. Again, we read here in verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Now we're told specifically from the greatest to the least of them, they called a fast, they put on sackcloth, sackcloth, verse 6 says they sat on ashes sackcloth is roughly like burlap that would be the closest parallel it's a scratchy garment they put on sackcloth and they sat on ashes and that's what people typically did to express outwardly what was going on inwardly in their hearts that they were turning from sin so fasting and wearing sackcloth and sitting on ashes was an object lesson declaring their bankruptcy and their need for forgiveness. Now, they were not saved by that. They were saved by believing in God, but outward works always show inward reality. And we see the same truth in the New Testament. Listen to these words in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Most of you know what grace is. Paul says in Romans 11:6, if it, your salvation is by grace, it is no longer in the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Grace is for God so loved the world he gave his son. Did God have any obligations? Did God have any debts to pay? Absolutely not. He didn't have to send his son to die on that cross that was grace, but just because he died for all doesn't mean all are saved. You have to believe in him. You have to come through faith, which is described as something that's not of yourself. It's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life. You don't earn gifts. You receive them. It's not as a result of works. It's not a reward for anything you've done so that no one can boast or brag. He couldn't have said it more plainly, but listen to the next verse. We miss the next verse. When you memorize Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and the most 100 passages you'll be getting here shortly that you should memorize, I have Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. <laughs> For we are his workmanship... Poema, we get our word poetry, where his workmanship, his poetry, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for good works, unto good works. So we're not saved by works, but we're saved to do good works, which God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. So as you're a spirit-filled believer and you obey what you know, God unfolds his plan for your life and you discover the very best that he has. So here's a major city, Nineveh. It's the capital of Assyria. It's steeped in wickedness. And yet there's a 100% conversion rate. The people from every social stratum, from the greatest of them to the least, are represented. So picture it in these terms. You are in the belly of a great fish. And as this map shows, you are spit out on Fripp Island, all right? And you have a three-day's walk from Fripp to Hilton Head, it's 60 miles. And you begin to preach when you reach one-third of the way into your journey. You're on Bay Street of all places, if you were here 30 years ago. Yet 40 days in Beaufort County will be destroyed. And you get no further than that. And the message begins to spread like wildfire across the county, and all 201,863 residents are converted, from the greatest to the least. You say no preacher could accomplish that. That's humanly impossible. That's right, only God could do that. And that's why this is a miracle. Even Jonah could not have imagined this kind of conversion rate. Listen, there's a lesson here for us, and that is do not disobey God if it doesn't make sense to you. If God has given a clear word from His book, we would be wise to obey it, whether we understand it or not. When I started tithing as a new Christian, it made no sense. The promise that if I gave 10% to the Lord that he was going to multiply the other nine tenths. But when you obey what you know, even if it doesn't make sense, that's what it means to walk by faith, you see God's hand. And one of the lessons of this book is when you obey the will of God you do know, God begins to unfold the will of God that you do not know, and you discover that God's plan may be far bigger than your analysis of that plan. Okay, so there's the means to the revival. Secondly, there's the extent of the revival. Third, let's think further about the method for this revival. The method for this revival. How is it that a whole city was converted to faith in the Lord? For that matter, how can an individual today be converted to faith in Christ? We'll go back and notice what God said to Jonah here in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. You underscored last week the word proclaim and the words the proclamation. God is saying proclaim my message, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. His commission is like ours. We are to preach God's word, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else because the Bible is what changes lives. And so as we discussed last time, the challenge in the evangelical pulpit is not the inerrancy of the Bible, it's the sufficiency of Scripture. And we have lost that, and it's leading the church into apostasy, and it could potentially become total apostasy. Now, I don't know that we're going to be able to stop that or arrest that, because there is coming a day when there is going to be total apostasy, and the seeds are being sown in our day. But I know what this preacher is going to do, no matter what other preachers do, as long as God gives me health and mental acuity to preach the word of God, I'm going to preach nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. I'm going to preach it in season and out of season because his word is sufficient and it's the power of God to change lives. Listen to the promise that Isaiah makes. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the water, so will my word be that comes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. The word of God is the seed that God used in Nineveh to convert the Ninevites and it's the seed that God will use in this day to change lives. Hold your finger here in Jonah and go to 1 Peter. All right, find the revelation and scan backwards. Remember Peter, James and John, the inner circle. Well, those three are clustered together at the end of the Bible, but not in that order. James, Peter 1st and 2nd, John 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, all right? Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I know many of you don't have a Bible because this is your first time here. Now, the sad fact is that in evangelical denominations and organizations, at least for the last 30 plus years that have been surveyed, it tells me that 95%, all the surveys done, had not changed in 30 years, 95% of born-again, really blood-bought children of God have never personally introduced someone to Christ. That's pretty sad. And part of that, I think, is because we don't really understand what Peter is saying. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 22. He said, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, Not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Now, the connection between verses 22 and 23 is established with that little three-letter word, for. Do you see it? You might want to circle it. He's reminding us that we are to fervently love one another. I am to fervently love you. You are to fervently love me. Why? Because, here's the reason... We have the same Father. When you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. That makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. If you become a child of God, that means you were not a child of God beforehand. And Peter is reminding us that in the spiritual realm, the same seed that conceived me conceived you, making us children of God. Now, there's only one way to see the inside of heaven. You must be born again. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You will not see the kingdom of God. And just as you were conceived in your mother's womb with human seed even so if you're going to be saved you must be conceived with spiritual seed now in the physical realm you and I were conceived with perishable seed my father is dead my father's father is dead his father is dead I come from a long line of perishable seed and someday if Jesus doesn't come back first I too will die but there's a part of me that has been conceived with perishable seed that gave me the gift of eternal life that will never pass away. James said it this way. That was the last book we studied. Do you remember? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. So just as in physical birth. There are two parents. There are two parents in spiritual birth. Follow it with me now. On the one hand, you are born again by the Spirit of God. On the other hand, you are born again by the Word of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring about conversion. And the degree to which you believe that will be the degree to which you use Scripture. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There have been countless occasions where I've encountered someone and you can just tell they're not getting it's not clicking. I've just taken the scripture there in my office and I've read more scripture. And it's like the blinders came off, why? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Every once in a while someone says, well, I, I wanna live my life in such a way so that people can see their need to be saved. That's not how they're going to be saved. Now you through your testimony, maybe you can share how God answered prayer, something he's done for you, how he's blessed you. That may give you a platform, but your life can convert no one. The word of God brought together by the spirit of God is what brings about supernatural conception. And that has been true in every age. No one has ever been made right with God apart from Scripture. Even before the first verse of Scripture was penned by Moses, God spoke through dreams and visions in many portions and in many ways. And so Abel, who's the first prophet, preached the revelation that God had already given. And so he preached the need to be made right in faith. And so Peter continues, he quotes Isaiah. Notice, for all flesh is like grass... In all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Everything in it has the seeds of decay. You bring your wife some beautiful flowers, within a few days they're dead. But God's word is incorruptible, imperishable seed. And so the psalmist says, forever, O Lord, your word, your word is seed is severed in heaven now people have made fun of it they've scorned it they've mocked it they've tried to distort it they're making in these united states of america laws against the scripture but it is still the imperishable incorruptible word of god diocletian the famous roman emperor who hated christians who hated the bible sought to gather every scroll and piece of papyri in the empire. There are no codex'es books then. It was all in scrolls and papyri. And to have the Bible burned. And when he had thought he had burned the last scroll, he erected a monument with these words, the name of Christ is extinguished. Anyone have a Bible here today? Hold it up high. I think old Diocletian was wrong, don't you? They can make laws against it. People can ridicule it. Cults try to add to it. Liberals twist the word of God to their own destruction. The humanists of our day are ignoring it. But it is nonetheless the incorruptible, imperishable word of God. And when you're convinced of that, as you speak to people about the Lord, you will be quick to use holy scripture in that process for it is God's divine seed. You know why some of us have never seen anyone to come to know Christ? As we think our testimony has some power in it. It has no power but to give you a platform. People aren't converted by your testimony. Or you have been convinced by the evil one, because of the evil in our day, that people just aren't interested anymore. There are people every week who come here who are looking for answers.
1: Living a good life is not enough to be a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to share the good news from the Bible. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you'd like a copy of today's message in its entirety, visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling us at 877-787-7478 and requesting program JNH7. And be sure to use the Search the Scriptures with Carl Brogie app available for smartphones and tablets. However, or whenever you call or visit, won't you consider contributing to the ministry of Search the Scriptures? Your generous donation plays a vital role in providing biblical teaching and in helping to spread the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. Tomorrow we'll continue our message from our series in the book of Jonah. Join us then as we Search the Scriptures.